Many of you are familiar with the fact that I like the Star Wars movies, but I also like, um, and my family enjoys the movies, the Marvel movies, or the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the MCU. One of the things that the MCU has made popular are end credit scenes. These little scenes that happen, normally when a movie ends, there's this long list of, at least modern movies, it always used to happen at the beginning, now it happens at the end. At the end of the movie, there's the long list of all the people involved in making the movie. And Marvel has made popular this thing where they'll add in maybe one or two scenes in the midst of these. Sometimes it's a funny little scene, sometimes it's a teaser for the next movie. And one of those was in 2011 in The Avengers, and it's an 11-year-old movie, so sorry, spoilers here. But at the end of the movie, the good guys win, okay? So that's no big spoiler there. But in the little end credit scene, they're kind of sitting around and they're just sitting in this little shawarma shop enjoying a meal that city of New York has been totally destroyed. And here's the superheroes just hanging out, having a meal. And it's just a little laugh, but it feels like, what's that all about? And John chapter 21 kind of feels like that sometimes, where there's this big scene. Earlier on, we've seen Jesus be crucified. He's raised from the dead. He comes and he appears to his disciples and he breathes on them. He gives them the Holy Spirit. And then near the end of chapter 20, it says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And there's the end of chapter 20, and you feel like, okay, here's the end credits, right? They start rolling. And then there's this little scene that pops up in John chapter 21. And some people wonder, well, is that kind of added on? Why is this there? I think there are a lot of connections back to it. We're not going to be able to connect all the parts in John 21 but I think it serves an important role. And it serves an important role for us to think about who is Jesus calling us to be and what is he calling us to do? And so the story begins in John 21 there. It says he's appeared to them. And then we hear that Simon says, Peter says, I'm going out to fish. And the other disciples say, well, we'll go with you. And so they went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So we see Peter here, Peter who followed Jesus around for three years, Peter who saw the empty tomb, Peter who twice Jesus came and stood among them and said, here's my hands, here's my side, I'm risen from the dead. Peter who has been breathed on and said, here, receive the Holy Spirit. Peter who has known that one of his calls is to go and share Jesus with the people not too long after all these incredible things happen, what does he do? He goes back to fishing. And I say go back to fishing because that's what he did before he met Jesus. So he goes back to what's familiar. Sometimes we do that too, don't we? When things get a little uncomfortable and we're not certain what the next step is, what we should be doing... It's sometimes easy to fall back into old patterns and say, well, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do now, but I know I can do this because I've done that for a lot of time. I've done that before. I've done that for years. And so they go back to that. We go back to the familiar and to the comfortable. But then Jesus shows up. So they've been out all night long fishing. They caught nothing. And in verse 4, it says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And here's kind of this continuing thing where, how did they not know it was Jesus? I don't know. But for some reason, they didn't quite see who he was. 
And he kind of does this, hey, have you caught anything yet? And they're like, no, nothing. And then Jesus says, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. So here's this story that happens, and it's a similar one to, that the Gospel of Luke tells, although that's at the beginning of the disciples' ministry. But here they are, they've caught nothing all night long, and as I understand, fishing, particularly in Palestine, that was when you fished. You didn't fish in the morning, and very rarely did you just throw the fit net on top of the fish. I don't know how many of you are fisher, but I mean, that's usually not the way it works, that you just look in the water, throw the net on top of the fish, and all of a sudden there's a bunch of fish in the net. But that's what happened. They throw the net in, and there's this great catch of fish. So they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And as John is writing this, he's calling up a lot of themes from the Bible. Calling up themes from the Gospel of John, because if we were to read back in the story, they throw the net in, and they don't just catch a few fish, but they catch a great number, like the story of Jesus at a wedding in Cana of Galilee, where he turns water into wine, and not just a little bit, not just so everybody at the wedding gets a little sample, but where there's this abundance of wine. Or the story of where he takes some loaves of bread and some fish, which show up in this story too, and feeds a crowd. And feeds a crowd not just with every, well, everybody gets a little bit, don't, don't take too much, but where there's this abundance of it. And so we again see this story of God's abundance as Jesus provides. But it also calls back to the prophet Ezekiel. We're not going to go, but in chapter 47, Ezekiel, there's this picture that God gives to Ezekiel of the temple at this future time where God's temple is being a blessing to the world. And it says here, it says, fishermen will stand along the shore from En Gedi to En Eglam. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds or depending on how you translate it, many different fish or a lot of fish, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. And then it goes on, fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. And so there's this incredible picture of abundance, of healing going on in the midst of things. And John has always connected these things, water and spirit and life, and they're all happening. And then you might say, well, why 153 fish? Anybody read that and say, what? I mean, because I mean, what you may hear me often say is, if the writer makes a detail, offers a detail, there's something important about it. So 153. Has anybody got any good ideas? Neither do I. Because <laughs> there, are, there are articles, I mean, I, I didn't take the time. I looked and just kind of saw these things like, lots of people have lots of different ideas and they're really big stretches. I mean, one ancient commentator, St. Augustine, said, well, if you take the Ten Commandments and the seven fruit of the Spirit, that's 17. And if you add up the numbers from 1 to 17, so 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 plus 5 plus 6, anybody want to guess what that adds up to? 153. And there's all kinds of, or if you take the, the words and Gedi and and Eglum and take their, you know, match up a number to each of the letters, it adds up to, nobody really knows. One guy said, well, there's 153 different kinds of species in the Mediterranean. There aren't 153 species of fish in the Mediterranean. It's just a number. It just means a lot. 
that's the best we can do with it. So just so you don't get distracted by like, but, but pastor, what about 153? It doesn't mean anything. Or at least best that we can do. It, it probably, okay, I shouldn't say it doesn't mean anything. It means something. We just don't know what. But the point is, it's a lot. Because there's this net that's overflowing and they're struggling to get it in. And then it's a reminder of this mission. So here they are, they're catching fish, but it's not just a story about catching fish. Because Jesus has told them and has given them beforehand this picture to say, you are to go and to share this news with other people. When he breathes on them the Holy Spirit, he's saying, you are to go and to share this good news, this message of light and life with the world. And so this picture of abundance is a picture of that. And it's also a picture of depending on Jesus because what's happened? They've gone all night without catching fish. And then they do what Jesus says and they catch a bunch of fish, which is not unlike Back in John chapter 15, this whole story of the vine and the branches where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Which is exactly what the disciples had till they listened to Jesus because it said they were there all night and they caught what? Nothing. nothing. And so this is actually a theme that runs through the gospel of John a lot is this idea of nothing, that apart from God, you can do nothing. Jesus talks about it. In chapter 5, where he says, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. You know, and he, so here are the disciples. They've caught nothing. But when they listen to Jesus, what happens? There's this abundant catch. And it's so many, verse 6, it says, there's so many, there's fun little word plays here. So there's so many that they can't haul in the net. Well, this word haul shows up a couple of other places in the Gospel of John. Chapter 6, no one come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And that word draws is the same one translated there as hauls. Wouldn't sound quite as good to say, well, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me hauls them in. So draws them in. And so, but there's this picture of this, or John chapter 12, where Jesus says, and when I am lifted up from the Father, I will draw or haul all people to myself. And so there's this picture of, again, this picture of what is going on. Jesus is, again, acting out a parable for them, reminding them they've gone back to this life of comfort and they're wondering and, and they're failing in their mission. They're not out telling people about Jesus. They're not out gathering people in. They've gone back to their old way of life and they're failing at that too. They're not even catching any fish. But when they listen to Jesus when they obey him, when they depend on him, when they abide in him, when they trust in him, what happens? They draw him in. And so for us today, it's the same thing. What are we called to do? We are called, and we talked about the finding your why, and in some sense, when I think about this, every church has the same basic mission. To what? Go and make disciples, right? To love God, to love people, to make disciples, to invite people to follow Jesus. But every church has a unique shape, and that's kind of the idea behind the Finding Your Why is what that looks like. Some do it through serving the poor. Some do it through small groups. Some do it through Sunday school. Some do it through 
healing ministries. There's all kinds of different ways to draw people to Jesus. But the point is, all churches are involved in the same basic task. The same task that was given to Jesus' early followers. To draw people in, to bring people to Jesus. And so I want us to think about this story for us today and what it might mean. Is one is the way Jesus shows up in the ordinary. I mean, they weren't doing anything special. They weren't going out and saying, well, Jesus met, so we're going to have a 40-day prayer revival. We're going to go out and we're going to do this. What were they doing? Fishing. Just what they had done. And here on one ordinary day, Jesus shows up and changes their world. And he can do that for us too. And he can do it for other people. That Jesus has this way of showing up in the midst of the ordinary and the everyday. Sometimes we want to try and create all the grand experiences and say, well, if I can get the music right, if I can get the mood right, if the lighting's just right, and if everything's just right, maybe, maybe Jesus will show up. And it's a temptation even in a church as a planning worship and say, well, we've got to have the right songs together and make sure the lighting's right and everything's working just right. And maybe we should get a smoke machine and we can dim the lights at the right moment and turn them up at the right moments and stuff. And if we do all that, then people will know Jesus is here and they'll have an encounter with Jesus. But that's not how it works ever in the Bible. Moses, he's out watching his sheep and God shows up. The disciples are fishing early on. Jesus shows up. Matthew's collecting, collecting taxes. Jesus shows up. Here they are, gone back to their old life, just fishing in the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up in the midst of the everyday and the ordinary. Which means not only does he do it for us, but he can do it for other people too. So we think about, well, I want somebody to encounter Jesus. And so may, maybe I need to take them away to this special weekend. I need to get things all together. But Jesus meets people, and we can meet people in the ordinary and every day. And so maybe even we draw that lesson from it too, is to say, Jesus came to them in the midst of the ordinary and the everyday, all their fishing and, and doing what they normally do. And that's where he shared this good news with them. And so as we think about our calling to share the good news of Jesus with people, we can do it in the midst of the ordinary and the everyday. It might be by bringing them to church, but it might be going fishing with them. It might be shopping with them. It might be having coffee with them. It might be inviting to do. And one of the best ways I, when I talk about, and I haven't used the word yet, evangelism, because then sometimes people stop listening. <laughs> but evangelism, when we talk about sharing our faith, sharing Jesus, participating in this mission that Jesus has, do, has given to us, Sometimes we think, I don't have time for one more thing on our calendar. I mean, I know many of us are like that. We look and we say, well, my, my calendar's full. I've got all these different things going on. And where, where am I going to fit one more thing on there? When we think about it, don't think of evangelism as fitting one more thing on. Think about what is it you already do and how can you use that as a way to share Jesus? How can you participate in the mission of Jesus in the things you already do? So what you might do this week is look through your calendar. Look and say, what is going on on my calendar? What am I doing this week? You say, well, I'm, 
I'm going shopping, I'm, I'm going, I have a doctor's appointment, that I'm going fishing, or, you know, what are your hobbies? I, I like to do, these are some of my hobbies. I like to knit, I like to build, I, I like to shop on eBay, whatever these things are that you like to do. And then to say, okay, when I'm doing that, there might be other people that I encounter when I'm doing that. There might be people that, other people that are doing along with me, people who also might like to do that and say, how can I use that time that I'm already doing something else to introduce people to Jesus? How can I use my ordinary everyday life, all those things that I'm normally doing, as an opportunity to talk about Jesus? Second thing I want us to think about from this story is that we can be tempted to go back what is familiar to maybe even forget the mission. A couple weeks ago, we celebrated Easter, and it's this grand time. We're all excited, and sometimes even we get excited at church. You guys look excited right now. So we get, we get excited at church, and we're all ready. We're fired up. We're like, oh, yes, Jesus, he is so amazing. I'm going to go tell people about Jesus. But by about 1.30 on Sunday afternoon, it's like, oh, I'm so tired. I don't want to do anything else. Monday morning comes. And all that excitement, that thrill of Sunday morning is kind of worn off. And we end up like the disciples. We go back to the ordinary and every day. We just feel like, I'm just going to go out and catch some fish. I'm going to sit in my boat. And so Jesus is inviting us to move past the familiar and the comfortable. To move past that and say, I'm inviting you into this incredible thing. And it is incredible. And it's, it is, it's easy for me to forget Jesus came to bring light and life to the world. He comes to offer life and life eternal to people. He comes to change people's life, to transform them, to, to free them from their sins, to free them from their past, to give this incredible life to them. And it's so exciting. And then he invites us to share that with other people. To say, just don't hang on to it yourself. To share it with other people. And it's easy sometimes to go back and say, oh, I'm just going back to what I'm used to. This is more familiar. This is more comfortable. And to forget what Jesus has called us to do. And so let us move past the familiar and comfortable. The third thing I want to think about is that to participate in his mission, we have to depend on him. When the, Jesus, when the disciples threw their nets over, well, they caught nothing. And then Jesus told them to do something. He invited them to trust him. They inv he invited them to depend on him. He invited them to abide in him. When they did that, what did they do? They cut a whole bunch. And so as we think about sharing Jesus with others, telling people about Jesus, evangelizing, whatever, witnessing to people, whatever language feels most comfortable to you, when we think about that, we think about this story, one of the things is it's not something you're going to do all on your own. If you try and do it all on your own, if you try and use your own wit, your own clever phrases, your own love, whatever it is, if you try and do it all on your own, you're going to end up with nothing in your net. But instead, if we listen to Jesus, if we depend on him and say, God, I need your power, I need your spirit, I need your words, then it changed and transformed. 
And maybe what we need to ask ourselves is, what would it look like for us to throw our nets on the other side? What would it look like for us to throw our nets on the other side? Because part of that is reflected in listening to what Jesus has had to say. But part of it's, well, when I come out, this is how I always do it. And that's how sometimes we get in church. We find a pattern, a way of doing things, and it works for a while. Maybe it worked in the past. And I know I've talked about this before, but down if you, when you go down towards the gym and you look on the wall there, there's a picture of the church back in the time, and there's all these kids out there. And as I understand it, one of the ways, one of the ministries that this church had, I mean, well, the, so if you don't know, familiar with the history of uh, Fruitland Covenant Church, it started in the 1940s. Um, groups of folks from Muskegon Covenant Church, now Forest Park Covenant Church, decided to host Sunday school up in Fruitland Township, up in the great northern wasteland, you know, farmlands of, you know, coming out of the city up to the rural areas of Fruitland Township. And they started by hosting Sunday school. And eventually the Sunday school grew and grew. And then this group of people who were part of the Sunday school chartered a new church in August of 1949. And then over time, there were different things. There was a bus ministry at one point where they drove around with a bus and picked up kids and brought the kids here. And it was one of the ways that during that time period was a way they fished and they listened to what Jesus was saying. And they, they cast their nets and there was this great draw of fish. My question is, if we were to host a Sunday school program on Sunday afternoons in Fruitland Township today, or start a bus ministry where we drove around and asked families, say, hey, you want to hop on the bus and go to church? How full do you think the bus would be? Not very. Not very. So sometimes what it is, is it's the mission hasn't changed but the method has. And so one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is, what would it look like for us to throw our nets on the other side? Because sometimes what happens in churches, we can get stuck in these patterns of like, well, I caught fish when I threw my net over here before, last time. And so we just keep doing it. And we get in this pattern of, well, that's empty. Well, it'll work next time. Net's empty. Net's empty. And maybe what Jesus is said, saying to us here at Fruitland is to say, why don't you throw it on the other side? And the question is, what does on the other side look for us? And I don't know what that is. But that's something we listen to together. And it's something we listen to the voice of Jesus and say, what is God calling to us? What is Jesus saying to us, people of Fruitland, what does it look like for us, church, to throw our nets on the other side? Because I believe this. I believe Jesus wants people to come into the kingdom. I believe Jesus wants to see people saved. I believe Jesus wants to see people's lives transformed. I believe that he wants us to participate in that. And I believe that by the power of a spirit, it can happen. So... I think you believe that too. I want to see those things happen and I believe you want to see those things happen. So one of our calls 
is to listen to the voice of Jesus and say, Jesus, what are you calling us to do? What does it look like for us to throw our nets on the other side? What is it you're calling us to do, Jesus? And when we listen to the voice of Jesus, when we hear that voice of Jesus, I believe that we'll see a great catch. That we'll see lives being changed and transformed. That we'll see people coming into the kingdom. Jesus calls us to step out of the ordinary in the everyday. Jesus calls us to trust in Him. Jesus is calling us to cast our nets. So our invitation is to listen to him, to hear his voice, and to join in his mission to bring people into the kingdom, to trust in him, and to see lives changed and transformed. Amen.